Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. Uh, I'm Gabe BC, your podcast host. You can always follow us at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email to Gabe at thestateoftheart.org. I hope you're doing okay out there. This is, again, another episode during the COVID virus outbreak. I guess if you say COVID, it's is that redundant to say COVID? And then, uh, anyways, uh, I'm still stuck at home. We're doing the podcast every week. Uh, if you have a chance to listen to last week's episode with John Hahn, it's a really great one. John is an illustrator who works with all sorts of different news outlets to create interesting stories. This week we have a really fun episode with Jennifer Juniper Stratford. She's a video artist based out of Los Angeles, and she works with a lot of old analog tools to create these music videos and video art pieces. We talk about playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, making early public access TV, and working with musicians to create music videos. Uh, It's a really fun interview, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's start off the show. Uh, Jennifer Juniper Stratford, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I listened to some of the other episodes. And And we still got you to come on. a good range of guests. (laughs) For sure. Um, Where are you right now? Are you in L.A.? I'm in L.A. in my studio. And how's it holding up over there during the quarantine? Um, I love my studio so much. And so I'm, I'm like a little bit scared about like financial stuff about mm-hmm. it. But I think that coming here and still working, it helps me like take it day by day and like just use my studio. It's kind of like keeping me a little, the fear is in a way like keeping me a little bit present. Right motivated by fear to make art in a way it's not helping the art but it's helping keep the the art is just kind of helping keep the beach ball from <laughs> like it's like keeping a beach ball underwater or something right like, trying to tame the tame tame some of some of the fears and you yeah. you grew up in la right i did yeah and yeah. how did you get started making work? Like, were you an artsy kid? Were you always making video pieces in, in high school and that sort of thing? Well, it's kind of funny that I'm like a video artist now because I, I wanted nothing more in the world than a video camera when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was just something my mom couldn't afford. And uh, I'd see like so many skater guys with video cameras. And I kind of think that I like, it's kind of the reason why I like, hate skateboarders. Because <laughs> <laughs> they had video cameras and you didn't? Yeah. It's like it, it, it taps. Like, I think I was just like totally jealous that they had video cameras and they were always editing and they had their own kind of like, like it seemed like filmmaking came so easy to them. So I kind of um, had a lot. It just kind of makes sense why I picked up and like stayed dedicated to video. Was there something you wanted to like, shoot back then, like that you couldn't shoot because you didn't have a camera? I didn't have a camera, but I did get a camera because the um, uh, I think when I was in the ninth grade, the teachers went on strike. I went to LAUSD mm-hmm. public school, but I was in a magnet program, like a arts, a visual arts and performance program, magnet school. Yeah, and uh, the teachers went on strike for some reason or another, so they had all the kids like in the auditorium because <laughs> to just like we had show up for school but no teachers so we just kind of have like a rainy day type schedule and I snuck out and went to the film lab where I was a student I had a video class and I stole one of the super eight cameras nice 
And then from that point on, I was like a filmmaker. Like I started a production on a film with my sister and my best friend that was like this epic movie starring Barbie dolls for like the next like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and I just like, no one's, I was really good friends with the film teacher and I remember him being really upset about the camera being stolen. And I couldn't <laughs> ever like, admit him that I did it. It's like terrible. You're like, I don't know. Where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we yeah, can't make I, films. I just felt guilty, but like not guilty enough to to like return it. Like my my like filmmaking career, what yeah. have you, is like more important than being honest. So you were making these films with your sister and these Barbie pieces, and did you start making video art at this time too, or were you? I mean, you were just like kind no. of experimenting. So this is the thing: is that so I'm using this Super Eight camera, but it's just like like how it is making a film now where you got to buy film and you got to get the film process right. and you have to like get time on an editing thing like an editing reel like a reel to reel thing so i could only use it during the film class which was like whatever like a 45 minute like school period <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh i had to babysit to buy the film babysit some more to like pay for processing and i was just like it dragged out the production of my my like barbie movie <laughs> there's like a director's cut somewhere of this unreleased barbie film shot on uh... oh yeah i have it i have it yeah i i've been like i i i need to digitize it but i'm also like afraid to see what it was <laughs> <laughs> What what was the like next step after making these experimental films? What was the next big well, project you worked on? I think one of the reasons why I was envious of these skaters with these video cameras was that they ha- they could like shoot and edit and like make stuff really fast and like nothing was holding them back. They didn't have to babysit. They were just like skating and having fun and <laughs> you know. Uh, so I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I like started to obsess over video. Mm-hmm. Was there a specific thing about video that you liked? I mean, just besides the immediacy or was it just that, like the digital immediacy of video that attracted you to it? My, my first, yeah, my, well, my first instinct was just like, that looks like you could do it faster and easier and you wouldn't, you know, you don't have to like send it out to a lab. You could do it all in your bedroom. Mm -hmm. I think that's just what I wanted. What was the first thing you shot on video then when you finally got a hold of a camera? Oh my god! Uh, not until like way later. Not until like true video. Yeah. Like on the video camera. Probably not until like two thousand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could talk <laughs> about some of the stuff. Like video. I took video. Um, I took video classes in a control room and in high school but Mm -hmm. i did it was like i was part of like a production team and we didn't really make what we you just learn how to use the control room and how to like use the television broadcast camera and all the controls and but i think we would the thing i made in in that class we made like a fake news broadcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's always weird that they teach you how to do video with these newsrooms like that's the only use for video i guess maybe it was for a while for a long time Yeah, and that was also a tease because I had been watching a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm gonna like age myself, but I it was the '90s, and so I was watching like my 
lot of cable TV, like a lot of MTV, a lot of, you know, night, night flight and just like Z channels watching like weird video art and stuff. So I knew that those like mixers could do all this like rad stuff, Hmm. but that class, it was just technical things. So you're really into public access TV too, right? That was a big influence on your work. Yeah. When I was in high school, uh, and I would babysit. So I'd babysit and like, so I'd babysit all these different, all these different kids. And so I got to check out all these different public access programs. Cause you know, different regions or different like parts of the city had different stations and Mm. different programming. So I was, I kind of became obsessed and a little bit nerdy about all these different public access shows. And, um, you couldn't like look it up on the internet. Like, how do you, how can I make one? You know? Yeah. It's felt uh, kind of exciting back then, right? Just to turn on the public access at one point, you never knew it was coming next and you could call in and it was sort of like an interactive talk show in a way. Yeah. Some, not everything was, a, it was a call in show, but there was like, I remember seeing, um, well, of course, lots of like religious freaks. Mm-hmm who are sometimes really creative and like bizarre and like not that far off from like freaks, like Hollywood freaks. And then, um, musicians, uh, so many, just, yeah, I I think I mentioned this to you before, but I remember there was this person who used to like run on a treadmill and paint and drink margaritas at the same time in LA TV. That's what it's called. What is it called? That show is called Let's Paint TV. Yeah, Let's Paint TV. I remember that watching that in high school quite a bit and being like, this is amazing. He still does it, I think, but on YouTube. Um, And so you had a public access show at one point? Yeah, so I went to I went to I went to art school or design school. I went to Art Center College of Design for photography and film. And so I learned like all the very commercial technical like photography techniques and like the analog era and how to make commercial work and they kind of like pumped out these like kind of creative but definitely commercial photography Mm -hmm. photographers and um i was like not a lot of my classmates were working but i didn't like become like a successful photographer out of school and i was a little bit like miserable and like lost and then a bunch of my friends and I were like watching TV late at night and I saw a public access show and I was like oh we should like start making one so <laughs> it kind of was like a it I mean this like impetus turned into a, sh- a public access show that was on on TV for four years and what was the show about uh it was called Dungeon Majesty Okay. And it was a it was a show of four people playing Dungeons and Dragons in front of a you know, like a you know, live Dungeons and Dragons game. So you were one of these people playing in the show, or were you like producing the show? I was producing it, but I was also on it, and everybody that was on the show was also a producer. It was just the <laughs> it was a collective, right? Like, we, we were all friends. And we all played Dungeons and Dragons together. Um, and we had like active game and like our, you know, we'd all kind of gone to like art school or film school. We were all like had just kind of graduated maybe five years out of school and like 
kind of lost and kind of scared of the real world. But then we had, we were all playing D and D together, and we kind of it started to like stoke all those creative energies again. You know, mm, like yeah. telling a story and like having ideas and using your imagination. So we kind of all kind of tapped into that, and then made this show. We got very into it. <laughs> and so the show was you guys playing Dungeons and Dragons, but there it was like you just watch people sitting at a table enacting these roles or was there like a visual element as well? There was a visual, you did watch the show as we played it in real time, you know? So it was like in a way just very boring the way if you watch people play Dungeons and Dragons, you know, people, you know, you roll dice, but then we would go in and out of like reality and like fantasy. So like, you'd roll, you know, someone would roll a dice and something amazing would happen. And then it would, the TV would, the the show would just like trans into this kind of like Sid and Marty Croft style, like early, like optical effect, laser uh. beams, uh, miniature sets. Like we, we'd be like chroma keyed in costumes on top of like, yeah miniature caves and <laughs> any like you know dungeon crawling mystical magic uh, so you're using these right. like optical effects but combining with sort of old special effects tricks too yeah uh, we were watching like a lot of um do you know the sid and marty croft show called land of the lost yeah oh yeah i love that show yeah so we were like deep into like that look and that style where it was like styrofoam and garbage like turned into these like you know, amazing, like alternate realms, but it's definitely um, some a style that celebrates the inadequacies of budget. And yeah, it's sort of like a lot of stop motion animation combined with uh, sort of like a punk rock looking aesthetic in a way. <laughs> yeah. And then also uh, because we were making it at the public access studio, it had a lot of video effects. So a lot of like trailing and like, uh, uh, insane you know uh mixer wipes and what it was, was your... all recorded on like you know analog video and it was um you know it had a kind of like gorgeousness of video what was the character you played in dungeons and dragons oh my character yeah oh, I, my character was uh named mystica and i was a cleric but I was also a necromancer. I was a multi multi class character. Of course, got to uh-huh. save people, but then you know, kill you know, raise them from the dead at the same time. Exactly, exactly. I was obsessed with healing, but I also healed the dead. <laughs> it's a valuable skill. Um, yeah. But it's weird hearing you talk about these this public access show because it feels like this sort of set the stage for a lot of. Uh, what we consider Jennifer Juniper Stratford artwork later on, right? Like these sort of vi- early visual effects are things that you use still today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dungeon Majesty has this like very childlike kind of like goofiness about it that just came naturally. And, um, and then mixed with all the videos. So like my work now is maybe like way less goofy than dungeon majesty but i I kind of just think dungeon majesty is the best thing that i'll ever make (laughs) (laughs) and now do you consider yourself a video artist primarily yeah i i I am i mean i if i had to pick a label but i kind of think everything that i do fetishizes video so 
in the end, I'm a video artist. And what, <laughs> in one way or another, it's going to... I'm curious about like what kind of tools you're using now to make a lot of the, the newer work that, you know, because your work looks like it's made in the 90s sometimes or the 80s even. Um, and I'm curious how you, do you work with sort of vintage video tools to create that look? Yeah, I kind of, I like to say that when you look at my work, you can't tell what time period or what dimension it came from. You know, it's not, I try, I, I like to think that because of the tools I'm using and incorporating, it's like just unplaceable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what kind of differentiates it from a lot of the digital work that I see today, where it seems like it's so rooted in a so particular software. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, can... yeah. Oh, every, I look at digital work a lot, and I'm just like, I'm like, Cinema 40. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Like, that's the paintbrush, but it's so recognizable. Yeah, I like, yeah. What do you so think I about think... work like that? I'm kind of curious, like, as someone who uses mostly analog tools to create your pieces. How do you feel about sort of these digital 3D environments? Uh, it's just, it's not for, it's not for me, but I do envy the fact that they could just like do it on a laptop <laughs> <laughs> and like work from anywhere. Um, I work in a, basically a control room. I have a studio, like a my studio has like a shoot, a, you know, a small shooting area and then it, you know, I can like pump a camera into what, into a control room, basically a, like a public access studio. Hmm. Yeah. I'm picturing sort of like a, somewhere between a public access studio and like a nuclear launch site with just tons of exactly. knobs and switches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, I use like, uh, you know, broadcast mixers, broadcast cameras, I record onto tape, uh, People always say that, look at my work, and they think it's VHS, but I'm like a nerd, and I'm like, it's beta can tape. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know, nobody really ever recorded onto, I mean, I guess, you know, VHS is like, when I say, think of VHS, I think of, that's the tape I rent at the video store, and I play in my VCR, but it's not really a recording medium. Hmm. Beta, just the big difference also is that beta was much bigger, right? Weren't the tapes almost like Huge. twice the size? <laughs> Huge, yeah. They're like the four by five negative. Of right. Do you miss those tapes? I mean, do you still buy oh, beta I tapes? Those. I use them. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get them from now? Um, I. It's, it's a funny story. The A girl that I went to junior high school with, the one that I stole the camera from, uh, she is a producer of educational films, like films that teach people how to, you know, speak languages or like history things, but just any kind of like educational film for, for schools. And they were transitioning from recording on the Betacam tape to going digital. And they, but they had a whole library full of, tapes that they hadn't recorded onto and some that they had recorded shows onto and they just donated it all to me so i'm kind of set for life for tapes. <laughs> you just have like a, a wall of tapes somewhere i do yeah it's like a you know maybe 10 boxes of tapes do you record over them or do you just kind of use a new one for each piece i don't record over them no i'm just 
they do. Okay, that's kind of funny and sort of sad thing about public access is that you would record on a tape and then you'd then your tape would go to broadcast and then they would just record another show onto that tape. There was no keeping of 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 tapes at this at the public access studios. Do There's you, no archive. Do you think that there? I mean, there's something nice about that to me. That now we're so obsessed with collecting all of these media and memories, but back then it was like, okay, we're just going to shoot over this, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I guess I just like I love. I just oh, I would just love to just watch weeks worth of rant public access shows again <laughs> do you archive your stuff like you digitize your 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 pieces and then keep them on like a hard drive in the end i do but i i keep the actual the <laughs> i'm gonna be a nerd again but the uh actually a beta cam tape is more archival than a hard drive mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense it's funny but how I we all think we can keep it. things safely on hard drives but uh they're gonna go away at some point I've learned that the hard way so many times. Yeah, me too. Let's talk about a specific work. So um, in 2015, you made a video piece in collaboration with Geneva Jacuzzi called uh-huh. Mocha Lotion. Can you tell us a little bit about Mocha Lotion? What what goes on in this performance piece? Well, Geneva Jacuzzi is a, a performance artist and a musician and a really good friend of mine. And uh, we'd worked together a few times before, but she got like a she got a commission from Mocha to do a performance and like a installation so she came to me and was like I want to make I want to make something for this like we should do something together and then we brainstorm and <laughs> she's she had been like binge watching uh like uh home shopping networks and like Especially when they sell beauty products. Yeah. The QVC. QVC. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like, oh, and then I make money for many years uh, shooting beauty products. So her and I are kind of like weirdly like immersed in this like beauty industry. It, it's like kind of a part of our life. Oh, and her, her mom is a hairdresser. So her, you know, she grew up in hair salons and around people getting makeovers and also just being women we just wanted to do something kind of poke fun at that whole at that whole culture but also kind of fetishize it Mm -hmm. because i love putting cream on my face and like (laughs) obsessing about stuff and trying on lipstick and like i kind of like i love beauty products and i'm repulsed by them and geneva just like kind of embodies these like two trope characters of qvc and kind of plays this like dual role um because a lot of her a lot of her work is just about like fracturing of personalities and like the multiple like voices that could be in someone's head or their you know what identities so i just like kind of uh like to guide that in her yeah (laughs) focus on it so uh we just shot it together and like we had a a friend of ours like let even though it was like even though this was like a commission from Mocha, we still like of course had to pull favors and I didn't have a studio at the time actually when we made that. Um but yeah, we got some somebody to like let us use their green screen for an afternoon. So it was me and Geneva and then 
this woman named Lynn Hong, who is kind of like the AD and the sound person <laughs> and the PA. <laughs> so just like the three of us made this thing. And Geneva played those characters. And then I and Chris Kane from Video Circuits, we like run that page. Can you still buy this equipment on eBay? I mean, is it super difficult to come by these days? It's hard to come by because they really didn't make that many. I think there was only 1,200 shipped to the United States. Wow. Um, I got mine because I was into it, thankfully, before. Now they're, okay, we're in a financial, like, disaster zone right yeah. kind of globally right we can agree oh yeah i can definitely agree on that <laughs> all right <laughs> um so a cvi went up on ebay like maybe like halfway into this quarantine mm-hmm. and i was watching it because i watch them all even though i have two and i have actually have three cvis so i don't technically need it anymore <laughs> i still like <laughs> watch every every uh, ebay auction that ever was about a fair light um it went for like $3,500. Yeah. And I was like, what? Who could spend that much? Some, <laughs> I someone's like, collecting those things, right? So they're still yeah, waiting. I, like, I don't know why I'm surprised because I am one, but collector people are crazy and they will spend their money, even if they don't have the money and they're obsessed about something, they'll still buy it. Yeah, I I'm still waiting for, a, I'm waiting for a Sony Porta pack to appear one day. That's what I've been waiting for for years. Yeah. That's never going to happen, though. So if you ever come across one, let me know. I feel like I've seen one. Really? Yeah. So let's. So with music videos, I'm curious, too, because you, you've done a, a bunch of music videos. Um, how do you kind of like start thinking about the, the visuals that you're going to do? Like maybe we can talk about John Mouse, um, the touchdown piece. Okay. Um, how did that come about? I mean, I love that video. I love John Mouse's music, too. So I, I'd love to get into that piece specifically. Um, for touchdown, uh, it's funny because I made this other music video for John Mouse called Believer mm-hmm. in 2011, which just like a few days ago was like it's ninth. It came out nine years ago. I was like, oh my god, I feel so old. <laughs> um, uh, so for that album, I did Believer, and I was just I'm just friends with John Mouse. Mm-hmm for a long time and we're we became friends because we're both star trek nerds like i think the first year of our friendship all we did was talk about the star trek like long emails just about star trek um <laughs> yeah i think that's weirdly how i got connected to you too is that a buddy of mine devin curry sent me your work and his dad was a big uh designer on star trek and i think you met him years ago yeah dan curry yeah. he's the special effects supervisor for TNG, Deep Space Nine, and I think even a little bit of, if not all of Voyager. So like the golden years in my mind of Mm -hmm. Star Trek effects. Yeah, super interesting guy. Yeah, I met him because I just used used to do a column about B-movie people and effects people. And Mm. uh, so that's how you and John sort of got together as well, like you became friends? Yeah, we became friends because we were Star Trek nerds. And then um, when it came to Touchdown, he I hadn't he's pretty reclusive. Um, and he can even be reclusive with his friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You know, he's not just like reclusive to like the press or anything. So I haven't talked to him in like three years. And then he was like, oh, I'm in town. Like, come, come meet me. Um, I'm playing a show or something. And so I went and I was eight months pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like backstage at a, at like a rock show, like the pregnant lady. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of crazy. It's like a. You know, I used to be kind of cool at one one point, um, but he was like, oh, you know, just said he wanted me to do the music video, and we already had like obviously a friendship that was kind of geared in making videos together. But he had a, he had gotten a treatment from Eric Wareheim mm-hmm. that was like very toxic, masculine, masculine. Like over the top toxic masculinity, yeah. and this was like twenty twenty sixteen. Like I think it was like it was kind of like the political climate was like ooh real yeah, gross. Things were and about to like, turn for the worse at that point. Yeah, and it was bad, you know. So he was like basically like I need you again. <laughs> I like I want to make this video about uh, football, but like kind of like he's like I you know he's always like like. He's the earliest, one of the earliest believers in Telefantasy Studios. He's like cheering me on since like, I don't know, 2008 or something. And Telefantasy Um, Studios is your company, right? Yeah. That's my like, house, (laughs) (laughs) my video art house. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So he like, he just knew I would put a fun twist on football being a woman and it was funny because that was his instinct and then he saw me and i was all mega pregs (laughs) i'm like more female than ever (laughs) so he came to you and said he wanted it to be about football and then kind of left it up he said you know i got this pitch for a toxic toxic masculinity slant on football i don't want to do this toxic masculine like music video he was like i don't like his, I think his like record company was kind of pushed, you know, Eric Wareheim is like way more famous director than I am. You know, it's like, it's a, he just wanted, he didn't, it didn't matter. It's, it was more important to John that like the video, like not be, not be toxic and not, and be kind of like different than that. And so what did you come up with? Um. So, I know the first half of the video basically just like kind of uh goes through all those all those typical football portraiture poses like when when a football player goes to like a portrait studio and gets photographed or the yearbook or whatever. Yeah, it has that so kind of glossy uh almost like you put like Vaseline on a lens it looks like. Yeah, it's very fantasy. Like, I, you know, because I was like, okay, if this is like not toxic masculinity, then I'm going to make it like all like what like I think is like a football player's like hazy, like kind of romantic dream of like what it is to be a football player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. And there's this all this history of historical poses, the Heisman pose and all these twists and like these bizarre things that football players do with their body for those portraits. Right. 
I guess it just like shows their physicality. So we played with that. And then we played with like, I don't, and then John plays the coach. <laughs> which is great. He wanted to be in it, which is sometimes he doesn't want to be in videos. And I kind of, I kind of understand that. I kind of respect that. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh. it's good to show John is like very serious person. He's like a philosophy PhD. Um, but he's also like a goofball and kind of, uh, he's kind of a nut job. So I, I was happy that he wanted to like be in there in a goofy kind of way, mm-hmm. not make it too serious too. Um, what was the reaction? Like, what was his reaction to the piece when it was done? Uh, he's so fun. He's good to work with. His he just like trusts me. He had like a few edit comments. He's like, yeah, put it out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like working on music videos? Yes and no. I mean, I love working with John. I love working with Geneva, Seth. Yeah, I, I love. It's it's good and it's bad. There's like a there's a thing about music videos are where it's like it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and then and a lot of compromise and i mean i don't know it can be tiresome sure <laughs> and what about sort of video art in the greater art world like do you think there's sort of a stigma against video artists still like you know because it's a relatively new medium i guess in the last 60 years now <laughs> yeah i do think that i'm seeing more video art in more institutional settings more museums and galleries um do you think that sort of the current situation like the virus covid will change that like the way we sort of look at digital work or look at um time-based media work yes it's gonna be it, it's a little i don't know that's a scary subject <laughs> <laughs> why um one of my fears is that I just see that everybody's too eager to jump into the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Like when I see a zoom birthday party, I am like, I have to log off right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a zoom birthday party, by the way. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. But it's just that. And like, I just, uh, or you know, what's a better example is how quick people were to jump on instagram live and talk to the camera and oh, like yeah. themselves as like educators or like people that knew better and like just kind of like pulling people into the cyber world more like kind of this like virtual world and virtual interactions and how is it different than public access back in the 90s well public access wasn't on 24 hours a day there was other channels and other things you could do you know, I think there's like this weird, like addictive quality of the internet that I think is spoils. It's like the good stuff about it's like networking capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you that know? makes sense. I mean, I watched as a kid, I watched a shitload of TV, but I didn't, you know, I also did other things. Yeah. So it's it's just the over encompassing part of Too the internet much. takes over your life. Too much. And I just keep it really looks like all signs are that virtual life is here. We are like our life is going to be on the matrix and people will be open to more net art and screen based works. But I, I'm still a little wary about it. I just don't want, I just don't want all of life to be on the internet. Sure. 
Yeah, that makes I'm not sense. ready for it. I read too much cyberpunk. I'm like a cyberpunk fanatic since I was a teenager. So I'm like pretty terrified that it's here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because you also make work that could be viewed through that, you know, because your pieces are time-based media. That It's funny that you reject that or that you don't want it to take over in a way. I mean, maybe not. It's not funny. I mean, it makes sense that you wouldn't want it to take over. But there you is know, sort funny. of. A... <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's basically like my favorite trope of all time coming, coming, coming to fruition. Right. It was like the television portal trope, you know, where the the television is alive or like the media is alive and the through way between the two is like gone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also kind of your nightmare, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When the TV comes live, it's terrifying. Right. It's more of the poltergeist view. Viewpoint. Well, why? Because <laughs> the fourth wall can't protect you anymore. Right. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go, I have some um, rapid fire questions for you that we do at the end of every episode. And these are maybe not even about your work, just about, you know, you and your life. Uh, so just the first thing that pops in your mind is good. Uh, what was your favorite TV show uh, as a kid? High Sesame Street. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, what was the last item that you lost? <laughs> Uh, blue Gumby. <laughs> What's just like a Gumby that's blue? It's a it's like an off market Gumby where they didn't quite get the color right. And where where are you buying off market Gumbies from? Well, off the internet. My my daughter's obsessed with Gumby. I love Gumby. She lost it, and it's like, um, I love Gumby too. I think Art Cloakie is probably one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah, I also just love claymation. I wish that most things were claim claymated instead of uh, computer animated. Um, what is uh, the one VHS tape you can't live without? Or beta tape, I should say, I guess. Well, oh. Well, beta can you record onto. So are you talking about recording onto or what or viewing? Viewing, let's say. Oh. Uh, shock treatment. <laughs> all right and if you could be one monster uh what would it be and why oh i'd be godzuki I think. <laughs> what is godzuki it's like godzilla's son why would you be godzuki i don't know he's like terrifying mutation but he's like pretty friendly and like isn't really out to hurt anybody but he's like you know in powerful <laughs> <laughs> jennifer thanks so much for being on state of the art it's been really delightful to talk to you and how do people find all of your pieces online if they want to go d dive into the uh, tv portal a little bit more uh they can go to telefantasystudios.com great and we'll also post um some clips of, of your video pieces as well i think that people would love to check them out so yeah, thanks again cool. it's been really great to talk to you Thanks so much for thinking that I was interesting enough to talk to. I appreciate you, it. You definitely are. <laughs> so hopefully we can keep talking in the future. Yeah. Thanks so much. And, and, um, till, till Vanessa, I said, hi, <laughs> she's listening to this probably right now. So okay, uh, we'll, well, I'll see you next week. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, you can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at Gabe at thestateoftheart.org. Uh, we're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. 
State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire, and Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well, and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit, and they seem like they're safe and healthy, and I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. <laughs>